0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, November first, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. The Cato Institute lost its longtime chairman last week, William A. Niskanen, has been described as blunt when it came to communicating economic ideas, but he preferred to be known simply as a political economist. Jim Dorn, Vice President for Academic Affairs at the Cato Institute, talks about his longtime colleague. Bill came to Cato in 1985 after he was on the President's uh, Council of Economic Advisors, but uh... I knew Bill before that, and I had come to Cato in 1982. And I I ran a conference shortly thereafter at uh, Bozeman, uh, and uh, Bill came out to it. He was the uh, dinner speaker. And we had been horseback riding all day, and uh, Bill started off his talk by saying, this is off the record, and he said, uh, being an economist in Washington is kind of like riding a horse, a pain in the ass. And, of course, what he meant that in official Washington, he was – quite limited what he could actually say. And of course, uh, anybody that knew Bill uh, knows that he was very outspoken He uh, and he thought carefully about uh, the analysis. And if he thought the analysis was wrong, uh, he would he would want to say something different. And that's, of course, what he did at Ford Motor Company that got him fired uh, because he was a free trader and Ford uh, went over on the side of protectionism. So that, that was the type of person uh, that uh, he was. And uh, it was a privilege to know him all these years and work with him. Uh, he was n- not only a friend, but a good mentor. How did he come to Cato? Well, uh, to the credit of Ed Crane, Ed's a real entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, Cato was a small think tank at the time. We only had seven or eight people on the staff, only a few po- policy analysts. Um, uh, we had started out in San Francisco a few years earlier, uh, back in the late 1970s. And, uh, we were, you know, we were getting a good reputation, and Bill knew about us, uh, and he had been at our events, as I mentioned. Uh, so Ed uh, tried to persuade him uh, when he was over in the old executive office building. His his office was about the size of a football field. Ed would uh, go over and talk to Bill and try to convince him that uh, uh, he'd have a lot of leverage at Cato, and uh, he could do uh, a lot of things. He'd have a, a free mind to speak his, you know, speak his piece, and so on. So... Bill, of course, had a lot of opportunities outside Cato, uh, including the academic world and the private sector and other think tanks. Uh, but one day, without announcing anything, uh, he came over to Cato, uh, walked into Ed's office and said, well, where's my office? Uh, Ed just re- related this story to me uh, you know, a couple days ago. Uh, so that's the type of fellow he is. You know, he, he, he thought about it. He made a decision. He came over. And, of course, the office at Bill got, he took my old office, uh, which wasn't much of an office, uh, in the old Waterston house on the top floor. And, uh, you know, it was a relatively small office, uh, but uh, he didn't complain. He went right to work. In fact, when he was writing his book on, on, on Reagan, which uh, we got an award from Business Week, it was an excellent book, uh, I watched him write it, basically. Uh, that was pre-computer era and uh, he had a uh, yellow legal pad and a very sharp pencil, and he'd sit at his desk smoking his pipe, and I'd come into the office, uh, knock on his door, and you'd see smoke coming up, and Bill would be writing, and he wouldn't look up until he finished his sentence, and then he'd put a a period there and drop his pencil and look up through the smoke. (laughs) But he, he was writing on this yellow paper and pencil, and the... And as I came in over the next several months, the pile of yellow paper would get higher and higher. And he was a wonderful writer, uh, unlike many economists. <laughs> he knew how to write. And uh, he, w- he wouldn't change many words. You know, I, every once in a while, I see him cross something out, but he, he was a very careful writer. What were some of the more academic things that Bill wrote that, that really stuck with you? Well, Bill, of course, uh, was active in the Public Choice Society. Uh, he wrote he was on the editorial board of Public Choice for many years. But he had a much wider uh, uh, field of subjects that he was interested in. At heart, he was a constitutional political economist. Uh, he, in fact, his last book on reflections of a political economist uh, says a lot about what he was doing. But I, two of the articles I like in particular um, that he wrote for the Cato Journal, uh, one was on the undemanding ethics of capitalism, and the other was on the soft infrastructure of a market economy. Now, the latter uh, actually he uh, he discussed basically that capitalism has undemanding ethics in the sense that what it rests on is an exchange economy. So social interaction takes place through voluntary exchanges based upon the consent of individuals. It does not depend a lot on what he called the scarce commodity of caring. Uh, and he basically explained why uh, in a capitalist system the ethics based upon private property rights, based upon uh, respect for other individuals' property rights, based based upon uh, a culture in which individuals have reciprocity uh, is one that generates civil society. So, in, in this other article that he wrote uh, actually for our first conference in the Soviet Union before the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1990, we had a big conference over there. And Bill gave a, a paper on the soft infrastructure of a market system. And he said, most economists in the United States never paid much attention uh, to institutions except those people that were in comparative economic systems. Uh So he really didn't get exposed much to that idea, but on reading Adam Smith and and some of the classical liberals, he came to the conclusion that uh, the institutions were critical, and he called them the soft infrastructure of a market economy. And what he looked at basically was the legal system, including uh, uh, transferable property rights and contracts and so forth, and a transparent accounting system, and of course prices have to reflect... Uh, opportunity costs. So you need competition and property rights. Uh, And then third, uh, he looked at culture, the impact of culture. And that was a sort of a general term for informal uh, arrangements uh, that influence people's decision. Uh, And he thought that the culture of responsibility would be uh, the outcome of a private free market system. And when people are responsible, they also become uh, more efficient in the sense that uh, the resources are going to where consumers want them. And if somebody doesn't do that, they fail. Uh, So he was really appalled by the too-big-to-fail ideology and by the uh, growth of government. And that's why I think he really stayed in the think tank business, uh, because he had lots of options elsewhere. And he was always uh, actually a little critical of George Stiegler, who was one of his professors at Chicago, because Stiegler never thought much of public policy economists. And Bill thought that he was really doing something valuable by being in Washington trying to fight fight the state. Uh, So I think that's why he liked Cato so much, because we're such a principled organization, uh, believe in limited government. uh, And in fact, when he published his Reagan book, uh, when he wrote uh, a little message at the front of the book for his friends and other people that were t- getting the book, uh, he quoted Adam Smith. and He said, uh, all you need for a smoothly functioning society is peace, easy taxes, and a sound administration of justice. And in his, in his office, as John Samples pointed out earlier uh, this week uh, when he was talking about Bill... So in his office, he has uh, three pictures, uh, of one of Adam Smith, one of Sir Isaac Newton, and one of Charles Darwin. On each of the pictures, there's inscribed below it, order without direction. And this is something Bill uh, really firmly believed in, that, that the market order, based upon private property rights and, and freedom of contract and, and, and other institutions, would lead to a unplanned or spontaneous order uh, that would benefit uh, the trading par- par- parties in the country and create wealth of a nation, just like Adam Smith pointed out. Uh, so, you know, when you went in his office and saw that, it brought you back to the fundamentals uh, of what economics and social interaction is all about. And uh, the problem today, of course, is uh, many people think you need a designed order, you need uh, central planning, you need a central bank, you need international organizations to tell economies what to do. uh, And without those, we fall off a cliff. And Niskanen would say uh, that's not true at all, that there's, once the institutions are established, then uh, people are better at deciding their own fate rather than having the government tell them what to do. Jim Dorn is Vice President for Academic Affairs at the Cato Institute. You can read more of Bill Niskanen's work, including his book, Reflections of a Political Economist, at our website, cato.org.